All right, everyone. I hate to take you away from the fun, but if you don't mind to make your way back to your seats. Uh-huh. That includes you, Dale. The good news is that you guys love each other. The bad news is the longer you talk, the longer we'll be here today because I still got a sermon to go through. So that's on you guys. <laughs> I know. Well, the problem with whistling is I just smile all the time and then I can't whistle. So I have to be serious to do so. All right, everyone. Good morning. And again, welcome to Redstone Church. If you are Newer to Redstone, you may not know who I am. My name is Sam. I'm one of the elders here, um, one of the pastors. And so I get the pleasure of preaching this Sunday and the next two. So I always joke, if people don't come the next week, then we know why. But hopefully you'll come all three weeks. Um, Jerry Williams, he's our lead pastor. He had a medical procedure done the other day. Things went really well. Um, so you guys can continue to just pray that pain subsides and recovery is quick and that sort of thing, but he still has a sense of humor. Um, the doctor told him not to use his phone, but he's texting everybody he was texting like two minutes ago. So if Cammie's at home, Cammie, take his phone away from him so he doesn't distract me while I'm trying to preach. Um, but good morning, and it is good for us to be gathered here together. So um, for the, the next three Sundays, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. So that is in your worship guide. It'll be on the screen if you have great vision and can see the TV from the back of the room. And of course, hopefully you have Bibles or apps and such that you can use. So you guys want to make your way there. Uh, we'll get into that in just a couple of minutes. So one of the things that I do most as a teacher at Providence Academy, even more than talking about English and things, is I discuss worldview with my students, especially the, the upperclassmen, because um, it's incredibly important. Uh, to, to understand what are the different worldviews around us and then what is a, a good biblical worldview and how do we have conversations about that and kind of compete, so to speak, with that as well. So we end up spending a lot of our time in the Bible and looking at just, you know, church doctrine and that sort of thing as well. But another way of describing worldview is mindset. Or perhaps you may have heard it said as like a lens with which you look at the world around you, a biblical lens to see the world. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, and in and all of 1 Peter as well, um, Peter is telling us to have a certain mindset as Christians, as exiles, as sojourners. And so that's what he's writing about in this letter. And so he's telling us, you know, constantly reminding us, like, here's who you are in Christ Jesus. Because of that, here's the mindset you are to have. If you were with us here last year, we went through the book of Ephesians. It was very similar. Paul started out like, here is your position in Christ. Because of that position, here's what you do with that. And here's how it's important. And Peter's doing the same thing. He's consistently reminding us, here's who you are in Jesus, and here's what that means. Here's who you are in Jesus, here's what that means. Have this mindset about you. And as we get into chapter 4 today, he's going to very explicitly talk about this idea of mindset. So let me read the passage for us. We'll read it all at once, and then I'll pray for us, because we all desperately need God's help in this moment, myself especially, and then we'll get into things today. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 6 is where we are today. And the word of the Lord says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And this is the word of the Lord. So let me pray for us in our time together. As I pray, encourage and ask you to pray um, for me and for the word of the Lord as well. So let's pray. So Father God, we thank you for your word. 
that you chose to reveal yourself to us through your written word, through your son, through your creation. And we have an opportunity in reading and studying in your word to know a person, to know you intimately, to believe in you in the depths of our hearts, and to live the lives that you called us to live. And so I pray now, as we jump into this passage, that through your Holy Spirit, that you will enlighten the eyes of our hearts to the truths of your word. That it is you that is doing these things, that you will pierce uh, what needs to be pierced, that you will convict us in ways that we need, that you will encourage us in ways that we need through your word. And most of all, we pray that we are you and that you are exalted and glorified in our time today. Thank you for this, and please be with us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so real quick, since we're virtually a little bit past halfway through 1 Peter, before we get into the, the depths of for today's passage, let's just zoom out real quick, like a nice 10,000-foot view, and look real fast at the first three chapters. It'll take just a second. So if we were to look back at 1 Peter chapter 1, um, we would see that there's basically two primary gospel realities that he's relating to us. Although, obviously, if you get into the depths of it, there's way more that's there. But first, you know, he gives us the gospel, the glorious hope of the gospel in the first 12 verses. He doesn't give any commands in those first 12 verses. He's like, you need to know and believe the gospel before you get anywhere else. And so he talks about our living Savior and our living hope and that living Savior who is guarding that living hope for us, our, our future eternal inheritance. And it's a glorious thing to be, re to be reminded that we are reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. And additionally, in the first chapter, he is also telling us to be holy as God is holy, to be separate and distinct from the rest of the world. And he continues to come back to these same themes. Here's the gospel. Here's what it means to believe and to live that out. In chapter 2, Peter reminds us and, and his readers, which consisted obviously then of many churches all throughout um, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And in these churches, you have previously Jewish uh, members who are now Christians, and previously Gentiles who are now Christians, and now they are one together. They're all Christians in the body of the Christ. And that's what he's reminding them. You are members of the body of Christ. And he also begins to get into this idea of submission and how Christians are to submit to every human institution. And then as we jumped into chapter 3, he continues with the same idea of submission by getting a little bit more personal and practical by looking at the Christian household um, and our workplaces and those sorts of things. And then he begins to get into this idea of suffering a little bit more specifically. And that's what we're picking up today. Looking at suffering, but in particular in chapter 3, we looked at the suffering of Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross. And he reminds us in the end that our Savior is victorious. And it's this beautiful picture of the gospel in chapter 3 as well. So that's just a quick overarching view of those first three chapters, just to remind you where we have been. And now we're getting into four, and we'll continue on um, before summer through 1 Peter. So because our time together today is limited, and you guys probably wouldn't stay for several hours, and I would get tired of talking after a while, um, the majority of our time today is going to be in just the first two verses. Like pretty much 90% of what I'm going to talk about comes from the first two verses, and I'll lightly touch on the rest. It's not that those are unimportant. It's just in the, the way that this kind of passage is framed, I felt like the first two verses are where we need to land. Um, and then, of course, if you have more questions later on, we can come together and talk about the rest of those verses. So let's just read again those first two verses real quick. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And so these two verses alone are packed with so much glorious truth that I cannot help but just place our focus here um, for our time today. And so whenever we look at these verses, we're reminded of what Jesus has done, what we are to do, and then it really sums up the Christian life for us well, in that as we have been reconciled by Christ Jesus, our purpose is to no longer live for ourselves, for our sinful, selfish flesh, but instead live for him who, glor who glor is glorified in reconciling us to God the Father. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible come from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. It's been read here before. Um, I think Jerry touched on a few weeks ago. But they say, For the love of Christ controls us, 
because we have concluded this, that one, that is Jesus, died for us all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so I think that's what Peter is telling us here and having this mindset is, hey, the purpose of the Christian life, the purpose of your exiling and your sojourning in this world, ultimately, is to not live for yourself, but to live for God, to live for Christ Jesus, because he paid for you by his blood. And he is worthy of being followed, worthy of living our lives for Christ Jesus. So as we've said before the last few weeks, when we look at these chapters in 1 Peter, um, the idea of chapters and verses are more of a modern construct, modern loosely, and they have a really good purpose, helping us to find things quickly. But sometimes the downside to that is we stop at the end of a chapter and think, okay, we're done, and this is brand new, when in reality, everything is connected together. It's all one letter. And if you were a part of those churches, you know, these letters that are being passed around from one church to the next. So it's being read out loud, and you're listening really well, because who knows, you know, what's going to happen from there, and it's going to be passed on to another church. So verse 4, it begins with, since therefore, and then as we've talked about many times here at church, if you see the word therefore, or since therefore, that means you got to go backwards and say, okay, what are we connecting to? Because that's what Peter's doing. He's saying, because of my previous point, do this, believe this. So we have to look back real quick. And so I believe he's referring back to chapter 3, verse 18, which we talked about a lot last week with Jerry, and it's just this amazing truth of the gospel. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, verse 18 is the gospel in a nutshell. Christ suffered one time and one time only on the cross. He suffered for our sins. He took our sins. He took our shame, right? All of that upon him. And he paid the price that you and I could not pay for ourselves. He was the righteous one, dying for us who were unrighteous in and of ourselves and our flesh. And because of that price that he paid, we have been redeemed and restored in right relationship to God the Father, and we are now righteous because Christ has made us righteous. This is the gospel. We must understand it, and we must believe it in our hearts. And if we're all being honest, sometimes it takes time to truly believe that in your heart, right? You can understand it's true up here before you get to your heart and really truly believe all the time consistently that the gospel is true for yourself that Jesus died for you and redeemed you. So we must understand, we must believe the gospel. The righteous for the unrighteous, right? Ephesians chapter 2, Paul puts it that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You can't get much worse off than dead, right? Dead. You cannot make yourself alive, can't do anything for yourself. Somebody had to come and do that for us. This is the gospel. He traded places with us. And the truth is, that's the most unfair situation that's ever occurred, right? That the righteous, holy one, creator of the universe would come and, and die in our place. And what was his goal in doing this for us? His goal was a word called atonement. It's a great doctrinal word that you've probably heard before, but it's something just to take and hold of and, and grasp. Atonement. He restored relationship between mankind and God. You see, if you were to go back and to look and understand the entire storyline of the scriptures, you've probably heard before like creation, fall, and redemption, and so on and so forth, right? So creation, you have a holy God creating a world, and there was this perfect relationship between God and mankind, between Adam and Eve and God, right? Things looked really, really good. Unfortunately, very, very quickly, within a couple chapters in the Bible, we see that the fall takes place, that sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, because they chose not to trust God. They chose to take his place and decide what was right for them. And so after that, if you read the scriptures, you see that there's thousands of years in which there is now a separation between God and mankind because of sin. And there is a dire need for a savior. 
And then we read in the Gospels that that happened, right? That Christ Jesus came, the redemption happened. The perfect, the righteous one came to live and to die in our place, to take our place and to take away that sin and to take away that separation. And now he is restored through his atonement. He has restored the relationship between us and a holy God. And that is no light thing. You know, in the church, we, we hear this often, and sometimes we, we tend to glean over these details, right? Because we're like, yeah, I understand that. I hear that. I believe that. But if you truly think about the reality of eternal separation from a holy God because of our sin and the fact that we had no way of getting back to him, so Christ Jesus came to make that way and to atone for our sins and to restore that relationship, that is a beautiful truth that we have to grasp and that we have to believe. And as Jesus came to atone for our sins, ultimately, this is a fulfillment of all the promises of God. But if you look all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you have God's first promise that one day the seed of a woman would destroy the serpent, right? And so that is God's first promise that I will not leave you as you are. The fall just happened. God promised I will restore this. There's a plan that was set forth before the foundation of the world. And then it came to fruition in Christ Jesus. And now we get to live on the other side of that. We're still waiting for that last piece for, for fully you know, restoration in heaven with Christ Jesus and, and with the Lord. But the reality is that Christ has come. He has atoned for our sins. He died. He rose three days later. And as the end of chapter 3 tells us, he has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus Christ is victorious. And it's a glorious truth of the gospel. And so this is what Peter is referring back to when we finally get into chapter 4 today. We're just now getting into chapter 4. Isn't this great? So whenever he gets into our verses today, he says, since Jesus suffered and died to atone for us, that's what he's referring back to. Arm yourself. Or to come back to what I started with in the beginning, have the mindset of Christ. And so what I want to do first in looking at this idea of mindset is to give you two sides of what this mindset looks like and what Peter, I think, is, is telling us here. Both of these are set on the gospel itself. One enables us to endure suffering in this world, and one enables us to turn away from our sin. And then I want to lastly leave us with, with what we're called to do with that mindset. So if you're taking notes or if you're filling in the blanks through the worship guide or if it's just easier to keep two or three things in mind, the first basic truth for us, it's very simple, coming directly from the scriptures, says that we must have the mindset of Christ. Arm yourself with the mindset of Christ. Have the mindset of Christ. So when Peter says we are to arm ourselves, this word arming is this idea of like battle, right? And it should be familiar to us. If you think back through Ephesians chapter 6, you have Paul relating to us the armor of God. And we are to arm ourselves for spiritual battles with that armor of God. Likewise, Peter is telling us you must arm yourself for spiritual battle, but he's saying to do so with the mindset of Christ. And so if you're to arm yourself for a battle, the idea is that you do so beforehand. Rather than waiting until you're in the battle and just hoping you're going to magically think like Christ Jesus does, you need beforehand to think through, what does this mean and what does it look like? And Lord, help me to do this so that when those battles come, I have the mindset of Christ and I am prepared for these spiritual battles. And so what mindset did Christ Jesus have? That's what we have to do. We have to understand what mindset did Jesus have? You can look all over the Bible, you know, all over the New Testament specifically to see, you know, how Christ Jesus was in different situations. But one particular passage that comes to mind for me, anytime I think about Jesus, is Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 12. And I just have bullet points here, but let me read it to you, and then we'll go over those bullet points. So in this, Paul begins much like Peter here. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, sounds very familiar, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when you think about the mindset of Christ and what was, what was Christ's mindset on earth and the things that he did, this is a great passage to look at. And so quick bullet points for us. What was Christ's mindset on earth? He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So there's humility in the mindset of Christ. He emptied himself, meaning he was in heaven, but he chose to come down to earth. He took the form of a servant. So not only did he come in human form, but he was a servant when he was here on earth. If you look at, you know, the apostles and other people that were following Jesus, they expected him to take over an earthly kingdom then and there and to get rid of the Romans. He's like, no, 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 I didn't come for that. I came to be a servant. I came to die. He was found in human form. He humbled himself further through obedience. He was obedient to the plan that he and the Father, you know, through, through, through before time began, had set forth. And he was humbled to the point of death on a cross. Bless you, Cody. So this is the mindset of Jesus. The mindset of our glorious Savior. And I think this is the mindset, this is what Peter has in mind when he's telling us to arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ. You can also look in um, other places in 1 Peter, if you go back to 2, 21 through 24, and again, 3, 18 that we just looked at, to quote both of those, 2, 21 through 24 says, For to this you have been called, writing to us, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. So he's saying the same thing. Because Christ also suffered for you. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And again, 318 that we looked at already, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so likewise, what is the mindset of Christ as we see in 1 Peter? He suffered. So if you have the mindset of Christ, be willing to suffer. He committed no sin. We'll come back to that later. He did not revile in return, right? People scorned and mocked and reviled and maligned him. He didn't do it in return. He could have done much more as the God of the universe, right? But he did not revile in return. He did not threaten. He entrusted himself to God and he died for us. And so when Peter is telling us to have the mindset of Christ, we have to understand, okay, what is Christ's mindset? It's all of these things. And from a humanly perspective, it doesn't sound so good. I don't want to die to myself. I'd much rather not. But that's what we're called to called to have the mindset of Christ. Jesus suffered for you and for me. He was in exile with no place to lay his head. He was maligned and mistreated. He suffered physical and mental and emotional abuse for us. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was pierced. And his suffering was to bring atonement for us to cover our sins and to offer us salvation in him alone. That's what Christ Jesus did. And so with all of those things in mind, Peter is telling us to arm ourselves with that same thought. He's asking a lot of us to mentally prepare. Even more hand, to mentally, you know, just, just prepare beforehand, before it ever comes, before it comes our way, with the expectation that certain sufferings are going to come. And why would he call us to this? Why would he call us to have the mindset of Christ? Because as exiles and sojourners, our hope is not in our current circumstances. Our hope is in eternity. Our hope is in the living Savior. Our hope is in his promises to us. And with that hope, with that mindset, we are able to face the things that we are called to face in this life. So as believers, as we're looking in 1 Peter, as we have this mindset of Christ, our mindset is that we are exiles. And that sounds really strange if you go up to someone on the street and say, hey, I'm an exile, I'm a sojourner, you know, how about you? And they're like, oh, you're crazy, I don't know what you're talking about. But that's the mindset, at least internally, that we're to have in this life, right? 
we tend to think of ourselves as you know, citizens in a certain town, in a certain country. You know, we identify ourselves by our jobs and the things that we do, or our kids, et cetera, et cetera. But scripturally, we are to think, you know what? My citizenship is in heaven. I belong to another kingdom. I belong to another king. And so with that mindset, we are still called to live in this world as sojourners and exiles. But with that mindset, we remember that our exiling, our sojourning in this life, it is temporary. We're only here for a certain amount of time. And because of these truths, our hope is in that risen Savior, that victorious King. And so we focus on the promises of God, and we are willing to suffer and endure whatever happens, whatever comes our way in this life. I want to come back more to that suffering in a minute. But if our first mindset helps us to align our thoughts with God, with Christ Jesus, and to live those lives um, with hope in eternity in him, then the second side of this mindset that Peter is, is referring to deals with the reality of sin in our life as believers. And so my truth number two for us, we must have the mindset of freedom from sin. We must have the mindset of freedom from sin. Let's dive a little bit deeper into this one. So looking back at our passage, he says to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, right? With the thinking of Christ suffering for our sins, bringing atonement. Peter says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, if we read those verses a little bit quickly, we might get a little tripped up. You might think, okay, if I'm in Christ, I shouldn't sin anymore. But that's not what Peter's saying, and that's not what the Scriptures teach us. As Christians, we are reconciled from sin, and yet we still live in the flesh, and so sin is very much a reality of our lives. If that weren't true, then we wouldn't see that in other places in Scripture, like Romans chapter 7, when Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the, of, of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And likewise, 1 John 1.8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So as a believer in this world, there is this kind of dual reality that we have to understand and kind of wrestle with. And this reality is that we have been freed from sin and the power of sin over us because of Christ Jesus, and yet we still kind of feel that same tug towards sin in this life. And we will always feel that as long as we are on this side of heaven. And it's kind of this constant back and forth. I think of it as, um, if any of you guys are familiar with Lord of the Rings, you know, I'm one of those nerdy people who likes Lord of the Rings. And so I think of it as kind of like Gollum right? If you've ever seen those. So in this, Gollum, he kind of has this dual personality going about him, right? And so he used to have the one ring, and it was controlling him, and now he no longer has it. Frodo has it, and yet he still feels that constant tug, right? So there's Gollum for you. Isn't that beautiful? So he feels this constant tug for the one ring, right? So we're similar, but obviously different, because the reality is for us, that, that that strength, that tugging, it's distracting, isn't it? <laughs> that tugging is now broken off. Because of Christ Jesus, we have truly been set free from the power of sin in our life. And though we will still struggle with sin, though we will sometimes still fall, the truth is that we are no longer under the weight of slavery to sin. And instead, we have freedom through Christ Jesus. And I'll change it for your benefit. This is ahead. I'm not to three yet, but just so we're, so we're on the same page. So what is Peter telling us here? What mindset do we have, right? We've discussed the mindset of Christ, but what does this mean in regards to our sin in this life as a believer and in exile? In one sense, I believe he's telling us that if we we cease from sin in the fact that the old creature is no more and we are now a new creature, a new creation. And also in one sense, when um, we suffer for doing what is right in this world, we indicate the reality that we are a new creature and that we have ceased from the power of sin in our lives. 
That's what he's saying in 2.24, I think, if you looked back. He, he says, he himself, Christ Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He died so that we might be free from sin, die to sin, and live to righteousness. And I think if we can, as believers, begin to grasp the truth of what Peter's telling us here, and then to begin to believe it in the depths of our hearts, that our outlook on life and our outlook on our following of Christ Jesus will begin to look different. It will change our Christian walk. If we can simply understand and believe that this is true, that I am set free from the power of sin in my life, and to have a gospel lens when we look at things around us, now when, when temptations come our way before we were more or less forced to follow through with that sin. We were slaves. We were dead. But now in Christ Jesus, when that temptation comes our way, we have a choice. We could engage in sin, and sometimes we do, unfortunately. But because of the freedom that Christ has purchased for us, we are now free to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Yes to Christ Jesus. And that is a powerful thing for us to begin to understand and believe in our lives. Because if we believe that, then we'll be able to begin to live that out. It's not, again, saying that you will never sin for the rest of your life. Well, I would be lying if I told you that. But the truth of this passage says that because of what Jesus has done, you have the opportunity, the freedom to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And that is a beautiful, wonderful truth. Let me explain it one other way. I'm going to quote a long passage it's from Romans chapter 6. So you can either flip there if you want to and follow with me, or you can write it down and come back to it later. But just as Peter is saying this, Paul is saying this. And so I want you to understand in Scripture that we get the same kind of basic argument that's going across, and we can look to different places to understand it. So Paul says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He continues on later. We know that our old self was crucified in him, in Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that power of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And again, this mindset comes into play. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And so Peter and Paul are telling us the same thing. They're telling us through the gospel, here's what Jesus has done for you. Because that is true, you need to have this certain mindset. You need to believe in the depths of your heart, this is true, this is who I am now. Because of who I am now, I no longer have to say yes to sin. I get to say no to sin and yes to God. It'll change your life. It'll change your Christian walk if you can begin to believe this. The gospel is true. What Jesus has died is, is, for you is true. And if you are a believer, then you too have died in a sense, and that you have died with Christ, and you are raised to walk in the newness of life, as the scripture says. And so when we have baptisms in church, that's what that represents, right? It's an outward reality of, of, of an inward reality. It's an outward picture of an inward reality. The fact that we have died in this life, the old creature is gone, and we are now a new creation. We are raised out of the water to walk in that newness of life. And when you come out of the water, it represents what Jesus has done and the fact that you can say no to sin and yes to God. 
Sin no longer has power over you, church. You have a freedom in Christ Jesus. You get to say yes to following God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit throughout your life, as he sanctifies you, that will become ever more apparent by his grace. So before we go further, we have to understand, believe in our hearts, the depths of the gospel. That's why we talk about it every single week. So as we take these two mindsets, right, and I, I presented to you two sides to a mindset, one in which you have the mindset of Christ and one in which you realize you are free from sin, and then we begin to step into how Peter wants us to apply that in our lives. And I think that we can do that. I think we can apply mindset to our suffering in this world. And so that's what we need to step into next is understanding, well, where does suffering come into play? Peter talks about it in his letter. He talks about it in chapter 4. What does this mindset have to do with our suffering? So let me read the rest of our passage, picking up in the second half of 2 and following. He says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. And so a part of our suffering in this life as Christians is in our choosing to be different from the world. The reality is true, right? The reality is that you are different, you are holy, you are set apart. But if you live the life that Christ Jesus called us to, then you choose to live out that reality, to, to show the world that I am different because of Jesus. And so being an exile and a sojourner in this world is not easy. And Peter knows that. So that's where truth number three comes in to play. We must be willing to suffer for righteousness, for what is good, for what Jesus has called us to. You see, as Christians, and this is an obvious thing, but we find ourselves in a world that is hostile to Christianity. Because if we live the lives Jesus called us to, then it is vastly different from what the world claims is right. And so for Americans, it can feel like it's this sudden change, right? The last 15 years, culture has drastically changed. The last 40, 50 years, culture has drastically changed. But the reality is that the culture now probably looks a lot more like what it did for the churches in Ephesus. For these believers, they were in a secular environment that hated Jesus and the truths of the gospel. And remember, some of these Christians, they were Gentile Christians. And so once upon a time, they had very likely lived lives like the rest of the culture around them. And so Peter is telling them, he is reminding them, hey, that is not who you are anymore. That's what he means with this gospel mindset. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. Hey, you are no longer that old person, that old creature, that old sinful thing, right? And you no longer have to engage in these things that the rest of the culture around you is engaging in because you are a new creation. And he's telling us as Christians, you are no longer that old creature, you are now in Christ. Live lives that are different from the rest of culture. And so this, I think, is where we can begin to understand in our current climate what suffering kind of looks like for us. Because if we're going against the grain of the rest of culture, you know, they're telling us, hey, you're infringing upon my freedom. When in reality, all we're seeking to do and understand is, well, you're, what you're doing is sin, and, and I can't be that way anymore. This is who I am. So if you truly live as a sojourner in an exile in this world, if you truly live your life as Jesus has called you to live, then your actions of being different from culture at some way, shape, and form will first just seem weird or strange, but eventually will cause you to suffer. 
Because what, what eventually happens? What do those around you begin to think when your life looks different from theirs? At first, they may simply think, well, he thinks he's better than me. She's just judging me. You're uptight and high and mighty. You're in the wrong because you're infringing upon who I am and, and my freedom. And you're treating me poorly because of that. In some ways, that sounds a little far-fetched, but it's really not. It's really not. And notice, you know, Peter, he's not saying, when you point out the sins of those around you, they will blind you. He doesn't say that when you point it out, no. He says, when you do not join them, join in their sins, they will malign you. So simply put, if you arm yourselves with the mindset of Christ, if you consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to righteousness, at some level, in some way, shape, and form in your life, you will experience suffering for it. Because the life that has been purchased, the life that you are called to, is vastly different from what the world looks like. And at some level, you'll be ridiculed for it or suffer for your faith simply for being different. And I think for, for some of us, this may happen when we first come to faith, especially if you come to faith a little bit later in life, because then there's going to be people that you were maybe with before, living a certain lifestyle before, and they're going to say, what do you mean you can't do this with us anymore? What do you mean you can't go here with us or engage in this activity or, or whatever the case might be? How dare you? And so we suffer because we say, no, I'm, that's not who I am. This is who I am. And for all of us, there will be seasons in life in which you suffer for your faith. And Peter, he's telling those here, and he's telling us that we have to arm ourselves beforehand, prepare beforehand with the mindset of Christ. And that mindset, again, is that Jesus suffered for you in order that he might bring atonement. So he did it for glorious reasons. It wasn't in vain that he suffered. He did it for glorious things. We see this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, some great verses. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also weigh, or lay aside every weight and sin which and clings excuse me, so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, our example, having that mindset, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And speaking of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the joy set before Christ Jesus when he endured for us? His joy was seeing the Father glorified. His joy was in restoring a people for himself. His joy was in the future reality in which every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow knees before him and confess that he is Lord. That was the joy set before him, and he endured a terrible death for that joy, for you and me, to bring atonement. And so for us... If we have the mindset of Christ and we are called to endure, we also have a joy set before us if we have the mindset of Christ. We endure as sojourners and exiles in this world, and our joy is in a holy God. Our joy is in a living Savior. Our joy is in an eternal inheritance that he has promised for us and he is keeping for us. Our joy is in a perfect, restored relationship for all eternity with a holy God. That's something to have great joy for. It's a reality that has been purchased for us. And so with that mindset, Peter is telling us, endure the suffering. Be willing to suffer for righteousness, for what is good, for what is right, for what Christ Jesus has called you to. And so if by the power of the Holy Spirit we turn from our sins and live this life, yes, we will suffer, but it is worth it. Because we remind ourselves this life is temporary. I am in exile. I'm here for a reason and for a season. 
I belong somewhere else. My eternity is somewhere else. And I think with this mindset, we're able to endure. And so that's the hope for us, church. That's the hope that we need to believe in the depths of our hearts today and every day. We have to wake up and pray, Lord, help me to believe this today. Help me to believe the reality of what you have done for me. Help me to be able to say no to sin and yes to you. Help me to remember what Christ has done and to look at him as my example and to be able to endure whatever may happen today. Whether you bring good to me today or whether there is suffering for my faith today, help me to have this mindset. Help my hope to be on you and on eternity. And the Holy Spirit will be with you and he will enable you to do exactly that. And so as I promised, the majority of our time was the first two verses. There's a lot more in this passage. It's good stuff. We just don't have time. So I'm just going to quickly hit it. And then if you have questions, we can talk later. So as we close, just the last little bit of the passage, where he continues and picks up, but they will give account. So these who malign you will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospels preach even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. So the first thing to understand with the last few verses is Peter is offering some encouragement. It's almost as if he expects his audience, his readers, to be like, yeah, all that hope stuff sounds great, Peter, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like for me every day and the way that people treat me. And it's almost as if Peter replies, those people that are maligning you, that are causing you to suffer so much in this world, they're not going to get away with it forever. They may even possibly get away with it in this life, but one day there's someone that they will have to answer to. And one day they will stand before a holy God and their mouth will be shut because they have nothing to say for themselves. They will be judged for their actions and for their sins. See, Peter, he knows it's, it's tough to be an exile. It's tough to follow Jesus in this world. Sometimes our sojourning can be pretty long and arduous. But throughout this letter, he's reminding his readers, he's reminding us, church, to have the long game in mind. Our hope is in Christ and in what is to come. It is not in this life. Our hope is somewhere else. And one day the reality is that the world will be judged. For us, because we've been redeemed by Christ, it'll be a good day. But for a lot of people, it's going to be a really bad day. But we have hope. In the midst of our suffering, we have hope. And as for that last verse, I would love to just you know, skip past it because much like what Jerry mentioned last week, it's one of those verses that can be hard to understand and grasp. And there's lots of different commentaries saying lots of things. But let me just give you an interpretation. And again, we can deep dive later on if you want to. And so one that seems to make sense is, um, and one commentary suggests that Peter here, when he's talking about to those that are dead, the idea is that he's talking to a young church, right? The church hasn't been established for very long after Christ Jesus. And so very likely they probably had lots of questions as a new church. Because unlike us, they couldn't go and Google answers or look to reformers or to, to Puritans. They're like, what did they say? What has the church historically said for thousands of years? They didn't have that luxury. She's like, Peter, we have some questions. And so one suggestion here is that they may have been asking, well, what about those of us who are Christians who have already died? What happens to them? They suffered. They were judged in the flesh by other people. And they've already died. What happens to them? And Peter reminds them that the glorious truths of the gospel were preached to this church. And the truths that are true for, for those people he's speaking to are also true for those saints who have died. And they would one day live in the spirit as God does, right? When we are dead in the flesh, we are alive with Christ Jesus. We, we go straight to him. And so he's telling them that their inheritance is also certain because the gospel is true. So again, if you want to know more, you can go and look and see all the different ways of looking at those verses, but that seemed like an appropriate response to what Peter's saying here. And so all of this, the same goes for us, church. The truth is the same. 
And though there will be seasons of suffering in this life, our faith, our hope is in the gospel. Our inheritance is certain, and we can face whatever comes our way. So with that, let me pray, and the, and the worship team can come forward, and, and we're going to take communion today in just a couple minutes. But let me just pray for us as we pray. Just sit and allow those truths to just kind of ruminate in your hearts and your minds. Lord Jesus, just as we sit before you and think about these things, I just pray that for all of us that the truth of your word will make it past simply our just mental understanding and make it to the depths of our hearts, that your spirit will reveal that truth there, and that you'll help each of us in this room, that you'll help your church around the world to understand what Christ has done, to have the mindset of Christ Jesus as we suffer in this world, to be willing to suffer as we say no to sin and yes to righteousness, as we live the lives that you call us to live. As we do so, we, we pray that these things are for your glory, and that the world will see a people who are radically living lives that are different, and not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of, of you who died for us and you've called us to live for you. And we pray that as the world sees this, that they will hunger and desire to know where this hope comes from. And that they will see and taste and know that you are good and the gospel is true. But Lord, we know that each day is, is not always going to be easy. That there will be times and seasons of suffering for our faith. We ask now that you help us to arm ourselves with this mindset that your spirit will strengthen and embolden us, that you'll help us to set our hope on you and eternity, and that we can face whatever comes our way, that we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, you're, if you've been here much, you know we oftentimes pass the microphone. We're going to skip that this, this week, and, and we're going to have communion. And so the thing that I love about communion is that it's the picture of the gospel. Because I can say a lot of words to you, but if you can see a picture, like a golem, it's going to present what I'm saying a little bit differently. And that's what communion does for us. It's, a, it's an example of what Christ Jesus has done. And so, as we read in the scriptures, we see that on the night that Christ Jesus was betrayed, and he's having the last supper with his disciples, he takes the bread and he blesses it. And then he breaks it. And I wish you could hear just the, almost the sound of the breaking of the bread. Because he says, this is my body that was given for you. My body that was broken, literally broken for you. That's what the gospel tells us. And then likewise, he, he took the wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. And so this is a picture of Christ shedding his blood for us on the cross in which he made atonement for our sins. We are made righteous by him. And because of this picture, because of what Christ Jesus has done, and the truths of the word, we can live lives that he has called us to live. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. So there's some men in the back. They're going to come forward, and they're going to pass out the elements. And so just ask that you, you know, just prayerfully, as you think through this, and then as you're ready, you can jump in, you can take it. It's going to be a little awkward because you've got to peel a couple things, but that's okay. Um, but go ahead and take communion as you're ready, and we'll continue in worship.